This is The Recap, a weekly reflection of the sermons of Fellowship Baptist Church. I'm your host, Ryan Lant, and I'm joined by the preacher of this week's sermon, Brent Wilson. Uh, Brent, how are you feeling? First week. First week, getting excited and pumped. We've been yeah, talking good. about this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it feels good. So um, before we actually dive into the content of this week's sermon, why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners and, and people that are tuning in why you why you think this is important, why we're doing it. Yeah, so every week uh, I get up and I preach and talk about the Bible, and I have uh, people come up to me afterward, uh, want to ask questions, want to uh, dialogue about the sermon, about content. Um, and I've got five or ten minutes to both greet new people, talk with guests, talk with people, and try to answer all these questions. And it really just doesn't lend itself to being able to talk very deeply or meaningfully about those questions. And so this is really an opportunity to, to, to just dive deep on those questions. It's also an opportunity to give people who you know don't feel comfortable or don't have the time to come up to me and ask me those questions. It gives them an opportunity to su- submit a question and uh, allow us to interact with it um, for their benefit. Uh, it also allows us to to go deeper. You know, sermons are uh, meant to engage, engage everyone from uh, lost people to people who've been following Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, and so I don't get really the opportunity to, to dive deep into everything I'd like to. And so this gives me a chance to, to get a little more singularly focused on an issue or dive deeper, give some more clarity around an issue, um, teach more theologically about an issue uh, or a topic. So it allows us to do, the, to do that as well as just gives everybody something, you know, midweek throughout their week, uh, some content to, to digest, uh, to think about, uh, to chew on uh, as they're continually trying to make Jesus essential uh, in their life. Yeah. I, I, I think one thing I've talked about with students in our student ministry is how do we connect what we do on Saturday night with what we learned on Sunday morning? And so I think having a reminder of even what we learned on Sunday morning in the middle of the week uh, will be helpful. And so kind of the 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 format, the plan of of what we're doing with the recap is we will some weeks we'll pick a a topic or maybe a point from the Sunday morning sermon and we'll go a little bit deeper into that. We may take uh, one question that 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 came up during the sermon and and try to answer that really clearly and and really helpfully. Uh, and then we'll always uh, end every every recap episode with taking questions from the congregation that they've submitted through the church app or through the website and answering those. Now, this is going to be the episode that we talk about our first Sunday in our new series, Encountering the Messiah. And Brent, you preached on John 3 and Jesus having his nighttime meeting with uh, Nicodemus. And we had a a whole lot of questions. Several. Several questions about uh, conversion, the nature of conversion, uh, Nicodemus and his uh, relationship with Jesus, his relationship with um, religion. And so lo- lots of lots of really good questions came in. So we, we really don't have time to, to uh, dive into anything specifically from the sermon. We got so many questions that we actually just, we just have to, to, to jump straight into kind of the Q&A. And so uh, please submit your questions. There will be ways, there will be a link uh, underneath the episode in the, in the episode description to submit your questions if, you, if you'd like to. And so uh, we, we love to answer your questions. This is for you. Uh, and so we, we want to serve you, not just talk about the stuff that we thought is interesting or, or good. Before we dive in, as you were giving that recap about the sermon, uh, it just hit me. I should have called the sermon Nick at Night. 
<laughs> that's good. All our younger listeners will not get that's that. That's good. And... Yeah. No, none of the student ministry will understand that <laughs> reference, but everyone else, everyone right, like 20 and older will get that, but not, not important. Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, back night. at the ranch. Nick at night. That's good. Um, so let's jump into these questions. So the first one, I think we got this question multiple times and I think is probably the biggest question coming out of your sermon, talking about what is conversion, what is biblical conversion, how do I know conversion when I see it? And the question is just simply, how can you tell, you yourself personally, if you have been converted, if you have been born again, how can I be assured of my salvation? Yeah, no, it's a great question, and it's one I get uh, a lot just individually. Um, And thankfully, the answer is simple. You know, we're, we're not looking for some magical, uh, weird thing. Uh, the Bible is very clear and it's a very simple answer, uh, but, but a multi-leveled answer. So I would say, okay, how do you know if you've been born again, if you've been converted? Well, the first thing is the, the main two signs, main two fruits are faith and repentance. Do you have faith in Jesus? You know, in the text, Jesus has been high lifted up like the serpent uh, uh, the bronze serpent, have you looked to Jesus? Do you have active faith in Jesus? And by that, I mean the real one, uh, the crucified, the risen Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not, you know, a Jesus of your own making, but you have faith in the real Jesus. Um, and is there repentance in your life? That is uh, a hatred for sin, a hatred uh, for the things of the flesh and a, an active turning away from them, you know, confessing them, asking for forgiveness for them and and working and striving in your life to uh, to put sin to death. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect or that you never sin again or that you never struggle anymore. That doesn't mean that. But it means that there's an act of like, yeah, you know, I'm doing this thing and it's wrong and I, and I don't want to do it anymore. So there's a battle, an internal battle, a wage, uh, a war being waged over your sin. Uh, so faith, repentance. Uh, the Bible talks about the fruits of the Spirit, right? Some of you know the song, group with the song. Uh, I will not sing it for you right now. Um, uh, but you know, the fruit of the spirit, it's not a banana, right? As this kid's song goes, but I I didn't sing it. I said it. Okay. Okay. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so, you know, are you exhibiting these fruits? Um, you know, is, is, is part of it. But then also this, you know, I want to be careful saying this, but I think it is important. Are you connected to a local church? Um, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian, just like being in a garage doesn't make you a car. But where are Christians found? They're they're found in the church, um, because that is where uh, that's our life source. That's uh, that's where we're connected to the body. That's where where we grow. That's where we're edified. It is God's plan A for uh, reconciling the world to Himself. It's through the church. And so, if you are a Christian who is actively involved in his local church, uh, growing, uh, sitting on the preaching of God's word, worshiping, being connected in small groups. Um, and you have faith and repentance, like there's a good, I mean, like I would have no qualms looking at that person saying, yes, I have, this person is a born again, converted uh, believer. And so rest in that and trust in that. Um, the other thing I would say is we don't want to look at people's fruit over the course of a week or two. We don't want to say, oh yeah, this person had faith in Jesus uh, this week, but they haven't in the past 30 years. Uh, we want to say, hey, what does your life look like over the past year, over the past Two years, has there been a uh, has there been evidence of growing in the spirit, evidence of continual faith, continual repentance, right? Because Jesus tells the par- parable of the sower, and 
it looks like some people have faith, right? Like the, this seed fell in the thorns, this seed, seed fell on the rocks, and it grew up. It's not that it didn't look like it was going to be a plant, didn't look like it was going to be a Christian. It did, but it withers away quickly. And so do you have persistent faith that has lasted, um, that is continuing? Because all true Christians per- persevere, right? And so really the question is, has, you, you had faith a year ago when you got saved and you still do? All right, pretty good sign you've been converted. Yeah, I think that's I think that last point is really important when I counsel students on this is they you know it's like oh I've just like not been reading my bible and I've not I've been I've been sinning and I've been you know just like just haven't felt you know very connected to God and and what they're doing is they're evaluating it over the last week not the last year of their life and so that's yeah. that's super important. And the the other thing I I would add is just that if you're worried about it also a good sign. Like you're either you either are saved, like if you're worried about that, you're not. Yeah. yeah. Or you're on the right path, you know, to to yeah. being secure in your in your conversion. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. People who people well, who are are slipping or who are who had a false conversion and are are sort of, you know, drifting away. Uh, like you talked about, you mm-hmm. know, being in the on the boogie board drifting away. Those people aren't worried that they're drifting away. Right. Uh people that don't care about Jesus don't don't worry if they're saved. Yeah. And people who aren't born again and think they are aren't usually worried about it. They kind of have that God's got me yeah. attitude. Get out of the hell free card. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I sure. I think the best resource I've ever experienced or uh uh interacted with on this topic is JD Greer's it's got a little bit of an inflammatory title. Don't come at me over this. <laughs> don't uh, email it's, me. It's just the don't email me. It's just the title of the book. Uh, but it's called "Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart," and I think it's I think it's really I think it's a really helpful resource. And so I'll, yeah. I'll link to that in the in the description and the the show notes. And so yeah. if people want to, if if you if this is your question or you you have people in your life that this is their question, you can you can uh, give them that. It's a really great resource. So uh, on the on the the kind of the same topic. People who have been converted, someone asks, if I've been converted, why do I still have sin in my life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And thankfully, the Bible uh, uh, really clearly addresses this as well. Uh, Romans chapter 7 comes to mind uh, where Paul basically says, you know, the things I know I should do, I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I do do. Um, And so the Bible basically paints this picture that there is the old man in us. That's uh, you know the uh, uh, the Adam in us. That's the fallen te- humanity. That's the text I thought about was Ephesians four, right? Put on the new man. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And so we have the old man in us, the the, the flesh, uh, the the uh, sinful part of us. And then now, after we've been converted, we have the new man. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, we're connected to Christ. We have the Spirit of God in us. Uh, and so we have these two natures and these two realities both present within us at the same time. And so now there's a war, Mm -hmm. there's a battle. You know, uh, I grew up watching Looney Tunes and I remember in Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny would always have on each shoulder an angel bugs on one and a devil bugs on the other, both whispering in his ear. Uh, Or or if you're younger, Kronk in Emperor's New (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got an angel and a devil. Um, uh, Kronk, very... What's that movie called? Emperor's New Groove. Very underrated Disney movie. It's yeah, an yeah. awesome movie. And a very timely reference, that movie that came out in 2003. <laughs> but um, anyways, so uh, yeah, so you have this war within you, right? And so the reason you still sin is because sometimes you let the old man win uh, and and he's fighting and he's uh, tempting you and 
Uh, sometimes temptation comes from outside of you, like from demonic forces, but other times temptation just comes from your, the old man with inside of you. Yeah, mo- most of the time, right? That's what James says. It's like, God does not tempt you. It's your desires in your flesh that tempt yeah. you. Yeah, and so that's still alive in us. And so the reason we sin is because we're not fully redeemed. Um, sanctification, that is a, a big theological word that means uh, we are being made holy. Uh, we're being sanctified. It's a process. And so the Christian life really is... God making us what he declared us to be. So in, here's another theological word, in justification, that is when God made us righteous, when he saved us and he forgave us of our sin and he gave us the righteousness of Christ and we're right with God, he declared us to be perfect, to be completely righteous. But we're not. We we still sin because that old man's still in us. And so sanctification is the process by which God is molding us and fashioning us and removing that old man slowly and slowly until he makes us fully like Christ, which won't happen until, another theological word, glorification, when he comes back, raises us from the dead, and makes us fully whole. But this life is a is progressive sanctification. It is a process by which God is making us more like Christ. Yeah. So I yeah, that, that question, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, justification, sanctification, glorification, because it's just a it's a reorientation of the order of those things. It's a person who's justified wanting to be glorified, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're skipping a step, right? We, we need to be sanctified. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Uh, one person asked, what do you mean by conversion? And I know you gave a, a definition in your sermon, but then they, they followed up kind of clarifying their question. Can a person say the right words, pray the right prayers and not feel converted? Emphasis on the feel. Yeah. You know, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can trust it? Who can know it? Um, and so I don't want to ever put a lot of stock in feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I think there are plenty of op- plenty of situations where uh, a kid who has grown up in a family that has always gone to church and has always been around things of faith um, kind of realizes one day, oh, I didn't realize I needed to take this step of faith and has kind of always believed. And so maybe they, uh, and I also want to be clear that, you know, getting saved isn't a, a prayer we pray, right? That's really just an outworking of, of, of doing some things the Bible commands us to do, like confess our sin, uh, believe on Christ. And so I think a, a kid growing up in, in the church c- can, quote unquote, get saved and not feel this great spiritual high in the same way that some kid who has, you know, been partying in high school and just living like the world and just doing everything bad you can imagine. And then they're radically converted to Christ. And it's like this radical shift and change in their life. And all of these weights of sin that have entangled them are being ripped off. That's going to be really emotional. But the other kid who, that's not been the case for them, it's not going to be as emotional. So I don't want to put a lot of stock in, in feelings, right? Uh, I don't want to put our trust in feelings. I want to put our trust in not the Here's, here's, I think, a helpful way to think about this. Not the quality or quantity of our faith, right? It's not about how much faith I have or or how, how what the quality of it is, but rather who it's in. It's in Jesus. And so um, I don't want to be super worried about how I feel. I want to be super worried about um, who I'm looking to. Yeah, that's super helpful. Uh, so kind of shifting gears a little bit, you, you talked a lot about uh, works and acts acts of like good works acts of faith in your uh, in your sermon and so this person asked what does God do with non-believers who do good works prior to their conversion uh yeah nothing um uh any any good work or even any belief in God generically apart from you know belief through the Messiah 
isn't good. You know, there's really, uh, it's funny. We use the word good works a lot, but it's like, even after conversion, we don't really do good works. Our works are made good through faith. Yeah. Our, our works are made good through the blood of Christ, but they're still not good in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so God doesn't do anything with our quote unquote good works before conversion. They're filthy rags and he doesn't do anything with them. Um, they're bad. They're, they're works of lawlessness. They're works of the evil one. Yeah. I, I learned about kind of what you're talking about from a sitcom, uh, The Good Place, oh, right? yeah. where people on earth are getting these good points or bad points for the things they do. And and they learn that even when they do good things, good things, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see because it's a podcast, they get points taken away because they're either motivated selfishly or they, uh, you know, they, they maybe they bought this, this like, uh, uh, you know, like environmentally safe product, but it was made by, you know, child labor in a different country. So they thought they were doing this good thing. They're actually doing this bad thing. And it's like the, the sitcom is actually saying like, Hey, even the good things we do actually aren't that good. You know, mm-hmm. actually there it's, it's, there's a lot more moral complication, uh, to doing good works. And so like, I, I think it's, it's really helpful to think that, you know, prior, you know, even, even post-conversion, like you said, there's no, no good works. There's always mm-hmm. even just an acorn's worth, you know, a small amount's worth of selfish, uh, desire or pride, you know, when yeah. we're like, we're like, cause there's that, you know, you do a good work and there's that small hope that you're like, I hope someone finds out and gives me some kudos oh, yeah, over yeah. this, you yeah. know, it's like, well, then it ceases being good, right? right? You've done it for your own, your own personal gain. And yeah. so I think it's really important what you said about you know, faith are, they're made good through faith in Jesus. Uh, not, not just because now we're saved, we can do good works. Right. Yeah. And so another, another question about works came in and says, if all of our acts are filthy rags, you, you talked about that. Uh, how is believing not one of those things? Isn't belief slash faith still an action? Yeah, this is a great question. It's a great mm-hmm. point. It's a, it's a question Christians have debated and thought about for a long time. Certainly not a new question. Um, and so I'm going to kind of give you two answers um, from differing camps, differing positions. Uh, on the one hand, people would say, you're exactly right. Faith is a work. And therefore, faith is not something uh, we do. It is something rather that God grants us and gifts us via the Holy Spirit. And so faith isn't a work because it's not of us. It is of the Spirit of God in us doing it. Um, and so that's one way around that issue. Uh, the other uh, is to say that faith isn't a work because it isn't something that we're doing that grants us righteousness. It's not like, you know, so if you think of a work like, oh, I'm going to, um, I don't know what's a work. Like I'm going to obey the food laws and not, you know, obey okay. all the Ten Commandments. Like th- th- those are works. And if I do those things or not do those things, then I'm perfect. I'm perfect. I have this righteousness. But faith isn't something that we're doing that grants us righteousness. Rather, it is a means by which God's grace comes to us. And so it is the, it is the, the avenue uh, by which grace uh, and salvation come to us through faith. Um, and so the, uh, it's not because our faith um, is somehow the work making us righteous. And so uh, you know, go back to the quantity quality thing, right? It's not, it's not the quality of our faith. Right, our faith is obvi- a lot of times motivated poorly. It is mm-hmm. not full. It's not you know. It's not pure faith. Yeah. Uh, it's tainted by sin, and so uh, the faith itself isn't 
it's not like faith equals righteousness. It's not giving righteousness. Rather, faith is how grace is coming to me. And so it's not the purity of my faith. It's not the quality of my faith. It is the object of my faith. Mm -hmm. And so faith is what gets me to Jesus. And Jesus is what makes me righteous. And so my faith can be a filthy rag, but God has chosen my faith as the means by which grace comes to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. It makes me think of uh, Ephesians, end of Ephesians 1, beginning of Ephesians 2. Um, you know, it's, it is by grace you have been saved. Well, how do you have access to that grace? Well, it's through yeah. faith, right? It's like, it's the road. That, it's the vehicle. The road, ve- yeah, 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 that gets you to the, the grace. Right, right, right. Um, so those prepositions are important. <laughs> you know, it's by grace, yeah. through faith. Right. Uh, so I'm actually, I'm going to change it up on you. I'm going to go to our last question. Ooh, I'm going to come back curveball. to, to the, the, the next question. So. Uh, we're talking about conversion now, obviously just like, you know, John, you know, John three, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And so someone wrote in asking, you know, Jesus is saying this guy's dead in his, or he, he actually doesn't say this. I, I was reading the text, uh, earlier today. Jesus kind of suggests that Nicodemus is, is dead in his sin and he himself needs to be born again. You know, yeah. not, it's not a generic thing. He's saying you Nicodemus right. need to be born again. So the, the question came in prior to Jesus's coming. How were Old Testament believers converted? Yeah. Was it through uh, their obedience to religious laws? Was it through some other means? Because, I mean, Nicodemus was probably pretty stringently obedient, strictly obedient to... To the Torah. To the, the Torah, Torah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 bonus points for, you know, the Pharisaical laws, yeah. you know? Yeah. He was probably pretty good at all that stuff. Right. So how was he dead in his sin? And even people like... People like Nicodemus before him, pre-Jesus, yeah. pre the incarnation, how were they rescued from their sin? Yeah. Here's a, here's another question that it, we get asked a lot. And I remember that the first time that I got an answer to this question, it was kind of like a light bulb went off. And luckily, the Bible is super, super clear on this. It's really not open for debate. Um, the book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could never forgive sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul spends chapter after chapter after chapter throughout many of his letters discussing, particularly Romans, discussing this very question. Uh, and he goes back to Abraham, and he talks about how Abraham believed God, uh, you know, concerning a situation in Abraham's life with Isaac, his son. And he says he believed God and believed the promises God made to him, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. So his faith. He had faith, he had belief, he had trust in God, and that faith granted him righteousness. And so Paul uses that to say, look, Christianity, what Jesus has done, actually is nothing new. It's a fulfillment of what God has always done. Salvation has always come through faith alone. Now, and people in the Old Testament, they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know about the cross or the resurrection, but they did know about a coming Messiah. They knew that they, they, had, they trusted in God, they had faith in God, and faith in God's coming Messiah who would deliver them. And so as they placed their faith in the coming Messiah uh, or faith in God, uh, that manifested itself through going to the temple and making sacrifices. It manifests itself through keeping the law, uh, having these expressions of faith. But those expressions of faith are just outward workings of their inner faith. And it was their faith that makes them right with God is their faith. So they're converted by their faith still. So, well, then that, that I think kind of the heart of the question is, was Nicodemus... Well, and maybe this is speculative, but was Nicodemus not having faith in the coming Messiah? And that's why Jesus can look at him and say, you need to be born again. 
Or is it because Nicodemus has had this encounter with the Messiah uh, that that he he needs to recognize Jesus as the Messiah? Mm. So uh, this is going to be speculation on my part, but I'm going to say that certainly that encounter he's having with the Messiah in this moment in John chapter 3 could be the moment where he, he is born again, and, and he doesn't understand it yet, but Jesus explained to him what's happening to him. Okay. Um, that may be the case. Uh, I'm going to say, though, that prior to, my guess is Nicodemus is not converted because he says you need to be born again. Mm-hmm. And uh, make with that assumption, I'm going to say, and the reason, obviously, some of the Pharisees aren't converted, Jesus calls right. them whitewashed tombs, yeah. meaning they're clean on the outside but dead on the inside. And it's because they had taken what these rituals and these laws and these things and remove them from their intended purpose. And so they were supposed to point them to God's grace, his love, his kindness, his promises. And instead they made them a law in and of themselves. And so the law the laws were ends in and of themselves. Yeah. And so uh they became these legalists and it's like, oh, I'm good enough. And so they began to look at themselves, their own goodness, their own piety, their own holiness, and stopped looking at the kindness and grace of God. And so it is tricky, right? Because you're looking at really religious people mm-hmm. who are doing all the right things, all the things God told them to do, um, and some other things. Uh, and yet Jesus is saying they're not converted because they're really pretty on the outside, but their faith is not in what God is doing and in God himself and trusting in God. Their faith is in themselves and their ability to keep what God has said. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the beauties of the story, you know, is that we we're all as readers of the Bible probably more like Nicodemus than 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 we care to admit. And so Oh yeah. Uh if we're the ones reading the Bible, we're we're probably the the ones that look super religious, not the ones that, you know, uh are are we're not the the Gentiles, you know, later in the in the gospels yeah. that are running up to Jesus. We're like the guys crossing our arms, stomping our foot saying, "Hey, this isn't the way I thought it was supposed to go." And oh, so yeah. I think I think it's really important to think we're we're probably more like Nicodemus as readers of the Bible, people who listen to a podcast about the Sunday morning sermon, like <laughs> we, we probably tend to be more Nicodemus than we do, you know, the Gentile yeah. lepers or, or, yeah. or people like that. So, um, all right, last question, and then we'll, we're, we're going to wrap it up here. This is the age old question, the, the age old, I, I like to call it the youth group question, oh, right? Yeah. And this is how can God be good? How can God be loving? How can God be just if he condemns people? who have never heard the name of Jesus to hell? Um, have they really rejected Jesus if they've never even heard of him? Yeah. Uh, here's the question. This is uh, an age-old question. Uh, every generation asks this. Um, uh, sorry, can I, I just, I also just yeah. want to, I want to add, like, add an addendum to something I just okay. said. I'm not, I'm not undermining it. I think it's a good question. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant about the question. I think the reason it's asked so much is because it, it's hard. It's hard, and yeah, yeah. and I think it's important to understand, and and it 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 actually draws draws something out of us uh, that that God wants, right? That that yeah. makes us look more like Him. And so I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant about the question by calling it the youth group question. I'm just saying it's so common because it it strikes at our sensibilities. So yeah, yeah. and it's a youth group question in good youth groups where there's teaching on the Bible, and this uh, this question just happens to come up, and they have to wrestle through it, and it's like. Oh man, this is really hard. Uh, and some people who didn't have that youth group experience, right? They, they're they're older and they're wrestling this for the first time. It's like, oh, I'm hearing these things taught, and I've never put these dots together, and I don't like where it's going, right? Because we get emotional about it. We we have feelings, and and we're looking at people who are never going to hear about Jesus, right? There's what 2.8 billion people in the world that are uh, right now have never heard about Jesus, yeah. and so it's like. It's really sad and really hard to think that, man, these people are going to go to hell and they never had a shot. 
So it's a great question, and it's a hard question. Um, but thankfully, the Bible is also very clear on the answer. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't this isn't a theological grasping at straws and putting his things together. The Bible's quite clear on on this issue. So um, how can God be good, loving, and just, and can then people have never heard about the gospel, heard about Jesus, and send them to hell? Well, first, uh, the question makes an assumption. Um, and, and I hope it's okay to say this. Uh, I think it's, uh, it makes an assumption that that people by default should go to heaven. Mm-hmm. That they deserve heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, that, yeah. That's the the default position is that people should go to heaven, and I don't know, maybe because they screwed up a little bit that they don't get to. Um, but if Jesus never came, and if God never offered any salvation, and there was no cross, no resurrection, and God just said to the world, "Hey, you know what, guys, you're on your own," everyone would go to hell. Mm-hmm. Everyone would go to hell. Everyone would see the righteous justice of God, and and God would still be good. Mm-hmm. And God would still be just. And God would still be loving. Uh, yeah, he would still be loving. Um, but he would be good because good judges send people who break laws and, to, to jail and here. But they, 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 get, they punish. They get punished. They get justice. And so that actually is like, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, at Islam and uh, Allah, the God of Islam, if you're 51% good, you make it to paradise. But that's not a good God because now he's allowed 49% badness into paradise. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, a good God doesn't allow any evil, right? And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about evil, right? Mm-hmm. Your lies, yeah, your lie isn't just like, oh, it's just a little lie. It's evil. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the ones who have moved the, the goal line, the goalpost, not God. Uh, and so by default, people deserve to go to hell. Um, and that makes God good and just. But the other thing is people don't go to hell for rejecting Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is a really uh, common misconception that it is rejecting Jesus that sends people to hell. And that's not the case. The Bible is clear uh, that people go to hell. They they receive the justice of God because of their sin. Um, it is their diso- it's their disobedience, their rebellion against a good God and His created order, His laws, that send them to hell and to receive their pun- due punishment. Mm-hmm. And so, rejecting Jesus isn't what sends you to hell. It's your sin that sends you to hell. Um, uh, but how is it that God is loving? He is seen as loving in that he's made a way out. Mm-hmm. He's made a way of escape. Uh, he's, he has sent his son. He has absorbed his own wrath and his own justice in himself, in his son. He has made salvation possible, and he has sent us to the world to tell people. Paul, this is kind of the whole thrust of Romans. He's building to this point, and then he gets to chapter 10, and he says, and now how will these people hear if no one preaches? And how will someone preach unless they're sent? And so he's like, you've got to go because people people are saved by hearing the word of God, mm-hmm. uh, hearing the gospel. And so, uh, and, and here I think is kind of like the, it's a cheap argument, but but I think it's an effective and, and true argument. If it were true that uh, ignorance of Jesus, that is you don't know anything about Jesus, it gives you a free pass to heaven, then we should bring every missionary home and we should never ever tell anyone about Jesus ever again because well, then absolutely. everyone gets a free pass to heaven. Yeah. Because as soon as you tell someone about Jesus, now you've given them a 50-50 shot. Yeah. And like if humanity could just shut up about it, we could all make it, right? Yeah. From this point on. If that were true, then God sending Jesus is actually the most unloving thing he could ever do because oh. I actually never thought about this. Yeah. So God sending Jesus is the most unloving thing he could ever do because now he's just taken everyone who got a free pass and yeah. If he could just forgi- divided it. <laughs> if he could just forgive our sin with no sacrifice, with with no uh, no requirement of, of faith uh, on the part of of the believer, then then he should never have sent Jesus. He yeah. could have just said, "You're all forgiven. Right. I forgive you all." 
right. and you know you have this sort of unitarian god right um yeah unitarian yeah yeah, yeah. and so we we should all get to go right and and but one god can't just he can't just hand wave all the sin away yeah and we nor do we want him to yeah and so here's the other hard truth god is not obligated to save anyone he like we said if he if he didn't send jesus he's still good and so he's under no obligation. Like we're the ones who've done the bad thing and God is going out of his way and, and being yeah. loving to make a way home, make a way out of this, make a way of salvation. He's not obligated to do that. He does that by his love and by his mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, so I, the, the, the assumption and the question is the, is the faulty part. And, and we all, that's not just on this asker, we all make that faulty assumption yeah. that, Man, you know, people really just deserve a chance. Yeah. But you don't deserve a chance. Mm-hmm. God, by his grace, gave you one. Grace, yeah. and, and, and then the, the thrust of the question is, it should create missionary urgency. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was about to say, yeah. Is that, that I think sometimes that people use this question to, to write off, you know, the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And say, well, if God, God could never behave like this way. And so I, I can't believe in a God like that. It almost just reveals some laziness. Yeah, <laughs> in the person that it's like, uh, what it should create in you is so I need to go tell everyone. Right. I need to make sure I need to use my resources. Yeah. To make sure that there aren't two point three billion people in the world who don't know about the God, who don't know about Jesus, who yeah. don't know the gospel. Yeah. And instead, we sit, we throw our hands up in the air and say, "Well, that's not what God would do." So I don't believe in this God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. Um. And so I think it's a hard question. I think it's one yeah. you got to wrestle with. Yeah. Let, let me, let me, this is not necessarily the question, but it's a, it's a natural follow-up question. Mm-hmm. What about babies? Oh, of course. Yeah. What about, what about children who, um, who weren't old enough to talk or understand? Uh, and, and thankfully the Bible, this is not as clear, but the Bible I think does address it in Romans chapter two. It basically makes the argument that there are people with the law and people without the law. And those with the law will be judged by the law, and those without the law will be judged by their own consciousness, consciousnesses, um, consciences. Thank you. Like Jiminy Cricket, con- yeah. Like all conscience. Let your conscience be your guy. Yes. Uh, so you'll be judged by your own conscience, and so because uh, they don't have the law, right? They're they're far away from Judaism. They don't have the, these things from God, and so they're a law to themselves. Romans Romans chapter two says, "Well, children, it would seem." do not yet know right from wrong. They don't have consciences yet. And so there seems to be a uh, a kindness of God and his grace to not judge those who are sinners and do do deserve hell, and they're in Adam, but to not judge them uh, because their own consciousness have not condemned them yet. Uh, And so my personal belief is that children, uh, before an age of understanding of right and wrong, not of Jesus, but of right and wrong, um, and, and are not, not held a, accountable. To their yeah, sin. and not a, you would not say a set age, right? It's no, like, it's not like eight years old. Yeah, yeah, it's like different. This, for we get this idea of this age of accountability. I've heard. Yeah, it's like ten years old, thirteen years old, and just yeah. some arbitrary numbers. That's really an age age of understanding morality. Yeah, uh, and which then, is different for every kid. Yeah, and, and it would also think about special needs people who yeah. who could be fifty, but doesn't doesn't have that understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think God in His grace is going to. They're they're sinners, but He's not. He's He's somehow uniting them to Christ apart from faith, mm-hmm. and I think that is a special, unique thing. Yeah. So I think I th- I think that's a really important question, and it is the natural follow up. So, all right, that is uh, all the questions, all the time. We we intend for these to be.
uh, a little bit shorter, a little bit, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, but uh, when but you, preachers like to talk, that's right. And when, <laughs> and when, and when you send in questions that are this deep and this rich and at this volume, that this volume, uh, we, we want to discuss them. We don't want to leave anyone out. And so thank you for your questions. Uh, the, the hey, here's the question. Do we have to end it like this where we say, Hey, please go leave a five-star review. And, oh, yeah. and, and, but do leave us your comments. We yeah, would like yeah, to hear back from you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can leave a review helps other people find us. Uh, yeah, for sure. Share it on Facebook. Uh, you know, leave a comment uh, on, on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you see this. Uh, and we're really thankful that you listen to us. And um, yeah, there's going to be show notes where you can submit questions for next week. Uh, uh, the books, any resources that we mention during the podcast will be down there. And we will be back next week for episode two. We're continuing in the encounters uh, with the Messiah or encountering the Messiah rather. And we will be answering your questions and discussing that uh, at length. Brent, any final words? Nope. I think we're good. I enjoyed it. Thanks for being here, Ryan. All right. Thank you for being here. This was the recap. This is the recap. (laughs) 